You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecuted church too author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back to our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javier. Today, I'm joined by the lead pastor of Redeemer East Harlem in New York City, Justin Ardor. Our topic today focuses on approaching social justice issues from a biblical perspective, especially when it comes to evangelical church planting culture that often does not address the historic needs of communities. Before we jump in a little bit about Justin, like I said, he is the lead pastor and co-founder of Redeemer East Harlem, a branch of Redeemer Church in New York City, known for his founder, Timothy Keller. He has also served as a youth pastor and staff pastor in the Bronx, chaplain at U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, and a campus minister at NYU. Justin, thank you for being here. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. So I just want to hear your thoughts on the subject uh, here, Um, uh, social justice. Let's start with the the social justice aspect, then we'll come come to evangelical church planting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the terminology social justice uh, in recent years has become kind of fraught with uh, controversy, Uh, I think in large part because of how people uh, define it and and so there's, you know, certainly debate out there about, you know, is it social justice or as Christians, should we just care about biblical justice and what's the difference? And I think for me, I, I probably found myself for a while kind of caught up in trying to articulate those distinctions. Um, bottom line, I think for me, though, is biblical justice, like whatever the Bible means by justice, is going to have social implications. It's going to impact uh, the society in which we live. So however one wants to go about defining it, I'm, you know, happy to play around with some of the definitions. I think for me, of course, my understanding of what justice is, what is right, good, and true, uh, comes from what God says about what is good, right, and true. And so, uh, of course, biblically, the Bible is going to be the primary source of understanding what justice ought to be. But as a result of our engagement of justice, there ought to be social implications. Uh, And so when I talk about uh, pursuing justice, that's what I mean, that we ought to see a broad, broad impact. Would that be the background on how, uh, why and how you started researching and writing about the need to focus on social justice and church planting? Is, is that what you consider the background? Yeah, that's a good question. I think f- for me, what, what brought me to our, our current place has actually been a lot of different experiences that the Lord has allowed us to have over the course of, of my time in ministry. I think that the background for me is I've found myself in a variety of different places uh, in a, a variety of different contexts. Uh, so, I mean, just quickly on this point, but, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a very intercultural home. Um, I grew up in a, in a 
largely suburban kind of uh, largely white context. And so there was just kind of those dynamics. So growing up, learning how to navigate some of those dynamics, fast forward, uh, end up in the city working in the Bronx. And so there, uh, what I found is that I, I, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of time uh, when we were there to be kind of thinking through theological ideas about justice and uh, the historical context of particular communities that are connected to injustices. Um, as a pastor, as particularly as a youth pastor up there, I was just always confronted uh, with kind of the crisis or issues of the of immediacy, things that were going on in the in the in the neighborhood and the community or, or with the people that I served. Fast forward again, though, I also found myself in contexts where there was uh, there really wasn't the same kind of crisis or issues of of immediacy. Um, and so as a result of that, there was a lot of theological posturing about what justice is and what it ought to be. But I found that there was uh, a lot of um, or there tended to be a lack of like direct involvement in issues of, of justice, even though there was this theological um, posturing that was taking place. So uh, that created a bit of a dissonance for me. And I think having those different experiences and actually, you know, I, I brought up what it was like kind of going from uh, a Pentecostal context into a more Presbyterian context, that journey as well also created uh, some obviously very different experiences that all kind of culminated in what we started thinking about when we started thinking about church planting. What does it look like to have a robust theology of justice? What does it look like to engage with communities uh, with that, that, you know, rich, that richness of, of theology that we, we had uh, kind of uh, been thinking through? What does it look like to be pulling together different church traditions and the value of those different church traditions into church planting? All of that kind of came to a head for us. So it was a lot of different experiences over the course of ministry that was very much the backdrop to what so, we're doing now. Mm -hmm. So before we go any further, I want to make sure we are clear on what several uh, terms mean for our audience. First, sure. how do you define racism and on the flip side to anti-racism? Yeah. Oh, another, another fraught question. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of debate um, right now about how to define those terms. And I think it's complicated for me. So for racism, I guess I'll start there. Racism tends to get defined either one of two ways, either racism on the one hand uh, for some is uh, kind of this, uh, it's, it's a individual hatred toward a particular group of people as a, you know, as a result of their race or uh, differences. Uh, there's a, a, another definition of racism that would say that racism isn't just prejudice against uh, someone or a group of people, but that uh, racism is prejudice plus power, that one has power to actually um, uh, exert their prejudice on someone else. And that results in injustice. And I, I got to say, I, like, I have um, sympathy for both of those definitions, because on the one hand, of course, we would all recognize that racism certainly is sinful and is this this hatred toward another another person as a result of their race. But I would also say we have to recognize that the very concept of race is about centralized power. So as a social construct, what we understand race to be now was something that was created and designed intentionally for the purposes of, of subjugation. Every culture is going to have its different ways of, of uh, kind of stumbling into that kind of sin. 
for us in our American context, the, the way that we currently have our, our, our racial hierarchy set up, it was intentionally set up that way. So there, there is a power dynamic at play there. So with that in mind, when I think about something like anti-racism um, and how that overlaps with, with justice, anti-racism should be an active approach to undermining not only like individual animus that people have and rooting out, out the sinfulness uh, of that um, in someone's heart, but also approaching the power structures that have created various inequities as a result of these historic categories being created for the purpose of subjugation. So both of those things for me, uh, I guess, would kind of intersect with how I understand racism and, and anti-racism. It's a lot. And I think mm. it needs a further unpacking, which we won't be able to do today. Sure. But I do want to encourage folks uh, to uh, look at your uh, writing uh, and we'll post those links on our website and wherever we post our podcast. I want to make sure people get to hear some of these uh, um, ideas in depth. But let's move from mm -hmm. from what to why. So mm -hmm. the, the why part is why importance of justice in uh, church planting, right? So mm -hmm. my question to you is, can you explain the importance of a justice orientation to church planting and what justice orientation means? And then mm -hmm. second part of that is, uh, why is this so crucial? Yeah, good question. I think it, you'd be hard pressed to find Christians that don't agree that justice is required of the Christian. You know, few, few disagree with that. Um, but I think one of the things that I, I have found challenging within many church contexts is that the way in which we go about being a just people, and by being a just people, I mean, not only how we live individually as just people in this world, but how we also corporately live as a just people. Uh, too often, I have found, it's just not explicit. Uh, and it's not uh, articulated in a way that um, makes it kind of central to what the church is supposed to be and uh, supposed to do. Uh, and I have found that what we don't make explicit in our mission, uh, we often just won't do. And so when I think about justice oriented churches, uh, there's of course a lot that the church is called to, to be and do. Uh, I do find too often an articulation of justice as part of the church's mission is not there. And so because it's not there, um, it's just, it's not prioritized. Uh, and then on top of that, I'd also say, uh, you know, church history has made it pretty clear to us that when justice isn't made explicit and we don't have in front of us what we ought to be doing uh, as people of justice, uh, that we will fall prey to allowing or perpetuating injustice. Uh, the church has, of course, has a, a long history uh, of doing that. And so because of that, I, I think it's important that churches articulate their position on justice and what that's going to actually look like for the church. And with a church plant, church plants have, have been, tend to have an easier time to kind of weave some of this into the DNA of their church, of course, because they're new and um, it's just, it's a lot easier to do that, you know, as you're building up your core team and you're teaching teaching people, you know, the kind of church that you're going to be, this is the kind of thing that can be there. And so when I emphasize justice oriented church plants, um, it's kind of a long game. It's, it's the idea of just like, it's with the intention that in the, for the long haul, these are the kinds of churches that I think we should be. Um, and so church planning is a really great way for us to, to be able to, to weave it in. 
that's that's cool man so um i i never thought about the importance to focus on the history of a community in a church planting mm. um i i think that's interesting that uh, when you're starting out you got uh, it's kind of like a, um being intentional about building the dna from mm. the get go right so yeah. as you build that core team uh people who are working with you at least the pioneers um mm-hmm. they are on board with the uh, those essentials that makes a church plant or a church body um a local body that's that's yeah. that's neat so n- now let me ask you the how part of this so how to implement it so can you describe what a church uh, that is focusing on um creational restoration and the history of the community is doing uh, sure. what what it looks like yeah the, uh, no, yeah again great great question i think maybe i'll start with that second piece just the importance of of history and understanding a community you know i my my background was you know i was a an intercultural studies major uh in my undergrad and did a a masters degree in intercultural studies and focusing on missiology i thought the lord might uh might be taking us overseas for overseas missions instead he brought us to new york but you know one of the one of the key things um in missiological studies i mean for for those that are um especially working overseas uh contextualization is key right so understanding one's context understanding um the culture that one's stepping into is like fundamental uh, to understanding how to best do gospel ministry in that particular context. And so that that the same principle of um you know in a lot of missiological studies for overseas missions I think just applies to anywhere where we are uh, on mission understanding the history and the culture and what has created that history you know uh, what's created that culture within a particular context uh is crucial to being able to do faithful gospel ministry within a within a particular context and so i i i think it's very important that um church planters and and church plant core teams have a very good understanding of the context that they're stepping into that context comes with a history that context comes with particular joys and sorrows uh that context may come with a lot of different historic injustices that have befallen that community understanding and knowing all of that uh i think is is vital which then i think leads me to the the other piece that you just were mentioning this idea of creational restoration you know if if we're going to do gospel ministry like faithful gospel ministry uh we need to have a holistic view of the gospel uh and so i, I think one of the the best articulations of the tension that tends to happen within many evangelical circles uh, anthony bradley who's a, a professor at kings college here in manhattan he wrote an article uh, several years ago and in that article he was articulating the tension that many black christians have within evangelicalism and so one of the things that he was noting is that he defined a, a stream of evangelicalism that emphasized what he called great commission christianity and for him great commission christianity uh is a christianity that rightly is proclaiming uh you know the need for people to understand their sinfulness and come to a saving knowledge of 
of Christ and being liberated and set free from the bondage of, of sin, um, which of course is absolutely right and true. But one of the things that he uh, discusses in that article is that Great Commission Christianity, because it so emphasized the need for individual conversion um, and revival, uh, that it often uh, didn't actually speak to other facets of the gospel. Uh, other facets of the gospel being that God intends to not just save individual people, but also to restore all of creation. Uh, what he, you know, what he describes as, as the cosmic restoration Christianity is what we should ha have. And this is very much, of course, Revelation 21, uh, the restoration of all things when Christ returns. And so that's very much still part of the gospel. And so when we are proclaiming the gospel, we are also speaking to that coming day of full restoration. And that, uh, you know, uh, J.I. Packer talks about how the, the role of the church ought to be that we are making the invisible kingdom of God visible now. That's the role of the church. And so one facet of that is certainly going to be that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus conversion. But another part of what it might, what it means to make the invisible kingdom of God visible now is to also point to the full creational restoration that's to come one day. And for me, in the way that I understand what that looks like, that that's justice work. Uh, it's, it's justice work to see reconciliation within communities, restoration of, of the various brokenness that exists within a community. Um, all of that is the foundation for justice work. And so our gospel proclamation ought to include those things. Uh, and so understanding the context, back to what I was talking about with the history of the of a community, understanding the history of the community, understanding the, the, the brokenness of that community, what has created that brokenness, and then engaging it is gospel ministry. Um, it's justice work, speaking so, to yep the restoration that's to come. So what are the main challenges to approaching a church plant with a justice orientation? Yeah, uh, I, a couple of things come to mind. Actually, first and foremost, I think that one of the biggest challenges is just someone internalizing what I just said, that the gospel proclamation of the gospel includes justice work, uh, that it includes a pursuit of seeing communities restored as a way of pointing to that cosmic restoration that's to come. So first and foremost, I'd say that's that's one place to, to start. Um, not everyone even maybe some of your listeners may not necessarily agree with what I just said. And so even just being able to wrestle through that, I think that's, that's one challenge. I think the second challenge is that, um, you know, consumeristic Christianity um, that often seeks to take and not give uh, this, this rubs up against that quite a bit because in order to be a people of, of justice, to be churches that are people, uh, churches of justice, uh, it does require giving a lot like it, it's a lot of input into the community um so pushing against consumeristic christianity that's you know christianity that cares a lot about uh, you know programs are good but only cares about programs or only cares about really high quality worship services and doesn't give much attention to how do we go out uh and actually proclaim gospel in the way that we are are living and and um existing in a community um i think the other the other challenges is you know once you get past some of those dynamics on the ground earning the trust of the community is a lot of work it, it takes a prioritization of time and energy to build those relationships 
within the community so that people actually trust the work that you're doing. And that time will inevitably take away from time and resources that might be spent elsewhere. Um, and so that's another big challenge. It just takes a lot of time and effort and work and longevity within the community uh, to engage well. And as a pastor, and especially if you are a solo pastor, um, then it's a harder. And the yeah, New York City right. has uh, many, many, many solo pastors, especially ethnic pastors. When I say mm. ethnic, I mean, um, by that, I mean uh, uh, members of uh, minority groups, especially coming from uh, overseas, uh, whether Bangladeshi, Pakistani, you know, you name it. Mm. So they work in the, you know, mornings and in the evenings, they do their visitation and uh, mm -hmm. on Sundays they meet. So for those kind of pastors, because they're also mm -hmm. hit by the same uh, issues and yeah. uh, it's hard to give time. Time is so, they have very limited time and very limited uh, resources. Thank you for sharing these challenges. I think knowing and understanding uh, these challenges help people to go into the work of uh, uh, justice-oriented uh, church plant mm -hmm. uh, uh, with some, at least with some expectation, okay, this is what we need to do in order to change the culture or have mm -hmm. an impact in this ever-changing uh, city yeah. of New York. But let me yeah. take you back in 2020. During the mm -hmm. social justice movement in 2020, you encouraged members of your congregation to participate in one to two marches and at least one prayer vigil. In mm -hmm. fact, actually, one of the uh, marches in East Harlem ended uh, in a time of prayer and the then uh, mayor, de Blasio mm -hmm. uh, attended and allowed the group to pray for him. So here's the question. Why was it important for you personally uh, as a, a believer, an individual, but also a pastor and for your mm -hmm. congregation to participate in marches or uh, prayer vigils? Well, the first thing uh, that comes to mind for me uh, is that, you know, we, we do live in a particular culture and society uh, that allows for that kind of uh, gathering. And I think there's you know, much like I would encourage Christians to vote because it's it's the way in which we're able to make our voice known in our particular context. I would say the same thing is, you know, for something like this, like we, we have the opportunity to do so. It's a privilege uh, for us to be able to, you know, engage things like um, vigils or, or protests even. Uh, and so I think it's valuable for us to utilize that kind of uh, gift that we have within our society. Um, but the second thing to that would also just be, it's one of the ways that we are able to stand in solidarity with others in the community that care about the same kinds of things. Uh, one of the things that we, we did is, you know, all of the, the marches that we encouraged our church to be part of, they were all prayer oriented uh, um, or, uh, you know, you mentioned vigils, you know, I attend a lot of vigils. Uh, of course, those prayer vigils are often just that. They're, they're opportunities to pray together. And so being able to link arms with other congregations, other pastors, there's a, there is that sense of solidarity and partnership. Um, that is crucial um, to building that trust that I was talking about earlier. It's crucial uh, to actually being able to, to see real societal change. Uh, no one church is ever going to be able to make the kind of impact uh, on a community uh, that needs to be, you know, that, that needs to happen. And so when we're able to link arms with one another, uh, you know, we're better together uh, than we are separately. And so just pragmatically being part of those kinds of things together helps get stuff done. 
in addition, the last thing I'd, I'd say is um, I actually think it's a, it's a it's a beautiful witness to a watching world when when Christians uh, who may come from different you know streams of Christianity you know they look different their services are different there's there's differences amongst them and yet they are able to to come together uh, and work together. Uh, I think that's a it's a testament, especially in these divided times, of what unity ought to look like. Uh, and I'd, I'd say there's probably you know one of the greatest testaments of the Spirit of God working within a particular context is the people of God joining together in unity. Uh, and so I think that's it's it's a real testament to the world, yeah. and I think that's valuable. Yeah. So so Justin, uh, uh, you you clearly said uh, in your statement as you started to responding to my question. Uh, there's value in in these protests, right? So yeah. let me let me ask you this: What was the response from your congregation like? Um, and and did you make a distinction between prayer vigil, marches, and protests? Yeah, we we did make a distinction uh, whenever we promoted doing something together as a church. Uh, I mean, we certainly have people, and I'd just even be frank, uh, even for me, who who certainly attended other things that might not have been specifically prayer oriented. But as a church, that was very important for us because, again, we're we're wanting to to be part of something um, in unity with other with other brothers and sisters in our community. So we we did make that distinction. Um, I don't know that I would I would encourage just randomly go find a protest and join it um you know having a, a good sense of what the goals of that protest are i think are important and so we we made that distinction for sure uh and then as far as the response goes you know we we had a we we had a lot of people come uh and show up and i think that the prayer orientation allows us to have people uh join who might not be fully you know, fully aligned with everything that's happening, but because we're emphasizing prayer, that's a very unifying kind of thing. And so we try to keep things as, as uh, we don't want to be divisive. And so we, we try to minimize divisiveness that might happen and instead focus on uh, praying together. Um, and so because of that, I think we had a, we had a pretty good response uh, overall from our congregation uh, as a result. Yeah. That's awesome, brother. This is really yeah. cool. So just uh, switching gear a little bit, mm-hmm. we talked previously about uh, privileged mobility with another mm. guest on the show, Shirley Anand from Spark of Justice sure. at Bethel Gospel Assembly, and how Christian urban transplant, especially believers, need to be mindful that there is a privilege in having somewhere else to mm-hmm. go back home to. Uh, mm-hmm. Unlike transplants, lifelong residents of a city like uh, New York City are already at home. If mm. they're are problems in the community they cannot leave as readily and start over somewhere else mm-hmm. what does this mean for a church in an urban setting uh, yeah. i'm talking about your church yeah yeah you see it for me this is this yeah this is one of the challenges especially in you know i think manhattan a lot of of course a lot of neighborhoods in the city uh experience this uh, in manhattan of course uh, manhattan is a churning of people. There are always people coming and going and they're always coming and going for a variety of different reasons. And this is, this very much overlaps for me, uh, the importance of uh, understanding history and context uh, because, you know, the, the notion of privilege mobility, as you just said, is the privilege one has to be able to come into particular contexts um, of their own volition. And then for a variety of different reasons, decide to leave. Um 
uh, not everyone has that kind of uh, that kind of agency in life. And so for me, one of the reasons why as a, within our church plant, we we spent time on this idea of privileged mobility is because there may be a variety of different reasons that bring one in and out of the city. And I, I don't by no means want to judge those because there's there really are a lot of validity of valid reasons uh, why someone may come and go. But I think one of the things that I want to push back against um, that tends to happen with people that have privileged mobility uh, is that the neighborhood becomes something that they use as opposed to loving and caring for and investing in. And so one of the things that I'd, I'd really love for people and, and church plants uh, to be encouraging with their people, especially if they're in neighborhoods that are you know, gentrifying neighborhoods or neighborhoods that see a lot of turnover is to really be discipling people toward paying very close attention to the neighborhood that they live in. Uh, and as a result, honoring that neighborhood by for however long you're there by investing in and loving that community. Uh, and that might look very different um, depending on the person and the, depending on the amount of time that one uh, has in that community. Um, but resisting privileged mobility uh, for me looks like one, uh, if you don't have to just go, then don't go root yourself, you know, don't, don't utilize your privilege. But second, if you do have to go, then whatever that time that you have there, to love well, to serve well, to be involved as much as possible. Um, because your neighbors, the people that like you're literally living next door to, uh, they're not going to have the same kind of privilege that you have. And it communicates something really problematic. Here's probably my, my biggest concern. When Christians come and go that way, it communicates to the neighborhood uh, and the people of that neighborhood implicitly, maybe even sometimes explicitly, that I don't really care about you. I don't really care about what's going on in your life or in your world. I just need to use your neighborhood for a little while uh, until, you know, whatever, I get my, my job promotion or I get that raise and I can get out of here and move to another neighborhood. Um, it communicates the wrong kinds of things uh, that really does undermine faithful gospel witness and ministry. And so I'd encourage people to, to push back against that privileged mobility by loving and caring uh, about their neighborhoods for as long as they're there. Right. And I think that is this, this, uh, built-in trust. You gotta have. Uh, you gotta earn that trust to even speak right. into those lives. Because things like um, uh, privileged mobility, mm. it could be de divisive if you don't have uh, invested trust and uh, love. And uh, if the person doesn't know you well, mm. um, it could be one of those things that can uh, create problem for a church. And again, it goes back to what you said earlier. When you are building your core group, when you have mm. that in your DNA, hopefully it it starts there, uh, mm -hmm. because the longer it, you know, uh, by and large the churches that uh, end up resisting or fighting back to that kind of notion are mm. the churches that have been around for a very 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 long time. They have seen only uh, what it was 140 years ago, 170 years ago, 175 years ago. So yeah. they don't see. Um, uh, the problem. They just see that, well, we always, uh, we are all about inclusion. We are, uh, you know, mm -hmm. even the, those who believe in the, in, in the doctrinal truths and uh, stand on the unity and all of that good stuff, they tend to kind of like um, um, not complacent, but tend to be like a, a little less uh, 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 mobile when it comes yeah. to 
things like this because they feel that, well, we are not the ones who uh, reject membership or do mm. not allow people to come in. But I think what we are talking about is the, uh, going beyond that. That's good. Yeah. It's nice. Yes, continue to do that, but do more. Um, mm. And I think that's very intentional. It takes uh, uh, even almost like uh, re-educating uh, our pastors. And uh, mm. probably that's why I'm talking to you, Justin. And uh, yeah. uh, part of that is uh, we are... Um, uh, uh, we are the bre new breed of pastors, right? Hmm. Uh, who yeah. have the privilege of uh, leading churches, and because uh, we we had the privilege to go to uh, Bible school and seminaries mm -hmm. in a time when uh, people have different uh, uh, view of mm -hmm. uh, race, justice, and all of it. So mm -hmm. we are like, uh, I think that's shaping our worldview. Uh, not the biblical world, worldview that is uh, uh, based on the Bible, but what we're experiencing, the practicality of that, practically what's yeah. happening and how it relates to that. I think it's a, it's, a, it's, it's something that's going to take some time. It's not mm -hmm. going to happen overnight. And that's why we got to constantly talk about that. So right. as okay. we close, uh, we are ha uh, heading toward closing this uh, mm -hmm. episode. So how could someone listening, either a pastor or a church goer, take action on social justice? And again, audience, I want to make sure that I know that within the church, we have a, um, a very clear distinction on what is social justice. Uh, and of course, as uh, Justin has already made very clear that we are talking about the biblical justice. Um, yeah. And that's what we we standing for. And that's we are, what we are advocating. So when I'm saying social justice, that's what we are referring to. So mm -hmm. let me go back. So how could someone listening, either a pastor or a church goer, take action on uh, biblical justice, social justice? Uh, mm -hmm. And and what's, what's uh, step number one? Yeah. Step number one for me is solidifying the conviction that it matters. Again, back to what I said earlier, internalizing it uh, is crucial because if it's not internalized in the leader, uh, in the core team, or you know wh whatever the context might be, uh, you know if, if the church planter or uh, leaders within a particular congregation, if it's not internalized as a conviction, um, then it, it's kind of that ends up being kind of a non-starter. So taking the time to really consider biblically what justice ought to look like, uh, consider the conviction that a cosmic restoration is part of the gospel proclamation, and that means being involved in proclaiming the restoration that's to come. So internalizing that, I think, is, is step number one. Uh, step number two, I think, is just, again, really getting to know the context and then just start getting involved. Uh, when we start talking about social justice conceptually, I think sometimes people can get very overwhelmed by what it means to start getting involved. And there's all kinds of what organization should I affiliate with or what issues, you know, political issues should I get involved in or not get involved in? It gets very overwhelming. Um, and there may come a time to have to do those kinds of things, but starting locally, I think is so important. Just pay attention to what's happening in the neighborhood, you know, and show up to community board meetings, join any kind of newsletters or um, uh, communications that are updating people about what's happening in the community it just, and then start getting involved in that way. And from there, I think then the Lord just starts opening up the doors and providing the wisdom uh, for congregations to know how to take the next steps. Um, but those are some really good, easy places to start. Start uh, local. 
Yep. Awesome, 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 Justice. So, uh, Justin, so but what I'm hearing is, I, I, I mean, I'm trying to internalize what you're saying. So the first thing is uh, internalize, right? Uh, what it means and what it is. And then secondly, uh, be intentional to engage your community and uh, be in the community. Um, uh, whatever is happening, just just be there. Um, yep. Okay, so anything else you you like to add to this conversation? No, I think I mean, maybe my only encouragement would be, you know, uh, like you, you'd started off with my, my heart has been not only for our congregation, but even beyond with, with church plants and, you know, revitalizations. I, you know, I, you had mentioned as part of my, my dissertation work, just the, the notion of churches trying to reimagine uh, what their involvement in this kind of issue will, will be like. My encouragement would just be that, uh, this is a, a really, it's going to be a really vital part of our ongoing work as Christians and as churches into the future. It, it always should have been. Uh, it hasn't always been the way that it needed to have been, but um, it, it's going to be very important for the witness of the church going forward. The I, I think in too many places, the church is not known for both biblical fidelity and staying true to the word of God and also being advocates of justice, social justice, biblical justice, whatever you want to call it, being advocates mm -hmm. for it. And so again, you know, with a world that's watching, yeah. I think this is, uh, this is the way evangelism looks going into the future. Um, making that kind of proclamation to the world that's watching. Yeah. Yeah. So Justin, if listeners want to get in touch with you, mm -hmm. what are the easiest ways? the thing I'd probably most encourage people to do is, um, is to go to un until zion.com at until zion is, uh, along with my friend and colleague, Abe Cho. Um, we've been doing a lot of writing there, posting articles uh, on a lot of these kinds of topics. And so it's probably the, the quickest and easiest way to, to read more on some of the things that we're thinking about in this arena. Uh, and then also to get in touch with me as well. Uh, so, folks, uh, uh, we'll make sure that that's included in the episode description. Well, as we close this time, um, because we talk about heavy topics mm -hmm. and uh, there was a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, practical advice, uh, I'd like to ask you to tell me, tell me a joke. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, joke. Yeah. What, what comes? So my, this is a. It's so a dad joke. My, my wife, I, I love that. My wife dad told jokes, me, man. yeah, I, I have this, four this, children. How many you got? Remind me. Again. I have, I have two daughters. Yeah. yeah I have two daughters. I, yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, this is one, this is from my, this is from my wife. So I can't even take full credit, but I think New Yorkers will appreciate it in particular. Uh, what kind of bagel can fly? What, what kind? A plain bagel. <laughs> ah, that's good, man. No, I love it. That's good. That's good. Very good. That that is a dad joke. You're right. Yeah, You're yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, thank you so much for being on the show again, uh, Justin. And uh, Justin is lead pastor of Redeemer East Harlem in New York City. Thank you to all of our uh, listeners. If you appreciate this episode, this podcast, please uh, be sure to su subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. Thank you. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.